0: You have your Bibles? I invite you to take them out and turn to the Book of Ecclesiastes, chapter nine. The Book of Ecclesiastes, chapter nine. Amy's family has has a real well, they have a lot of really funny stories, but there's one story in, in particular I, I she likes to tell, uh, and I'm gonna tell it to you now. Uh, her Amy's brother and sister are a good bit older than Amy. Um, And so she, let's see, his brother is about 13 years older than she is, and his sister is seven years older than she is. Well, at one point, long before Amy was born, um, Amy's mom took Don and Heidi to church at their grandparents' church, which is Parkway Baptist in Natchez, Mississippi. It's a large Baptist church. Uh, Her grandfather was a deacon in that church, And as a good Baptist deacon does, he sat in the front row. Well, that day, Don sat in the front row with his grandfather. And he was fairly young. And it was Christmas time. And the pastor said, all right, at the end of his sermon, he said, let's everyone stand together and sing joy to the world. And Don stood up on the the pew and he yelled to his mom at the very back of the church, she was holding baby Heidi. And again, this large Baptist church. He yelled to the very back, Mom, oh boy, Jeremiah was a bullfrog. <laughs> you can imagine at Parkway Baptist Church in Natchez, Mississippi in the mid 70s, the embarrassment that would have flooded over grandparents and parents alike. Well, this morning, our song is Joy to the World. <laughs> And it's a silly song, and it's meant to be the, the group three dog night. Whenever they wrote it, they really was just they were writing a song that could bring the band together. They didn't think anything of it, they didn't think it was gonna be a hit, but it was a massive hit for them, maybe their biggest hit, because it was just so silly and so full of just the ridiculousness of life, and that's why they wrote it and how they they sang it. Well, in this passage today, Solomon is beginning to wrap up his sermon. And like most pastors, when they say, you know, I have one more thing to say, they really mean they have about 20 more things to say. And so Solomon is, you know, he's a typical preacher, and so even though he's wrapping things up, he still has four more chapters to go until he's finished with things. But in in this passage, even though there's some dark things still, because it is the book of Ecclesiastes, I want us to look at the joyfulness of... Behind all of the stuff that Solomon writes in here. There is real joy in this passage. And I want us to see that joy today. So let me read this for us. I'll read all of chapter 9 of the book of Ecclesiastes. And let me remind you, this is God's good and gracious word to you this morning. But all of this I lay to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and to the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As is the good, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished forever, for they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread and joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments all be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life, in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. And again I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligence, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls on them. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The word of the wise, heard, in a quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. But one sinner destroys much good. While well, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help in understanding his word. Pray with me. Father, once again, we, we thank you for this passage, and we pray that by it we would see more clearly the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, and that we would see uh, the joy that you have put into this passage. I pray that we would mine it for all of its goodness, that we might behold the light of Jesus Christ even here. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So, of course, I want to look at this passage in three ways. And first of all, I want to see the absolute wonder of life. But we're going to start at the end. Okay, we're starting at the very end of this passage, the wonder of life. In verses 11 through 17, I think you see this. Um, We're starting with the dessert first. Okay, so it's like a big meal. You want to start with with the dessert first. You're going to come to the main course, and we absolutely will come to the main course. Remember, every now and then, my mom would eat her dessert first because she wanted that. And so we're kind of doing that, eating the dessert first here at the very end. So we're starting with the dessert, we'll get to the main course in a bit. In 11 through 17, Solomon is pointing out just kind of the topsy-turvy, unpredictable nature of the world. He says, under the sun, in the world we live in, the race is not always to the swiftest, or the battle is not always to the strongest. Now, most of the time, the fastest people win the race. Most of the time, the battle is won by the strongest, but not always. Sometimes, slow people win races. You know, the old Aesop's fable, the tortoise and the hare, it's a good one. Reminds you to be slow and steady and you'll win. And sometimes that's true. If you're slow and you're steady, you'll beat the hare who gets distracted by so many things in life. Sometimes the slow one wins the race. And and sometimes the war is won not by the massive army or the strong, but the war is won by the weak, the ill-prepared. That's actually many of the stories from the Old Testament that you can point to of God redeeming and saving his people from sudden destruction, oncoming destruction that they deserve and God saves them. Well, it's true in the Old Testament, it's true in the New Testament, it's true in life. Sometimes the weak win and the strong lose. In an old saying that I'm sure many of you are familiar with, sometimes you eat the bear, sometimes... The bear eats you. Or the other way around, sometimes the bear eats you and sometimes you eat the bear. That's just the way the world works. And he says something interesting in here. He says that he says this at the end of verse 11. But, or I'm sorry, nor favor to those with knowledge. Meaning, not everyone who has knowledge and wisdom have the favor of God. And that's an important thing to remember. But he says, but time and chance happen to them all. Time and chance happen to everyone. Now, no doubt you, as a good Presbyterian this morning, say to yourself, Chance? We don't believe in chance. I am Presbyterian. I believe in the providence of God. God is sovereign over all events of life, and it is ordained, as the Westminster Confession says, whatsoever comes to pass. Surely Solomon is mistaken when he talks about chance. Well, Solomon is not attempting to undo and overthrow the entire doctrine of the sovereignty of God and the providence of God and things. But he's saying, from our perspective under the sun, doesn't a lot of life, doesn't most of life just look like it's random? And things just happen apart from any grand design? That's the way that it appears. From man's perspective, life seems random and out of place. Now, it's not random, and everything happens according to God's plan and according to His purpose. But life is topsy-turvy. Life is unpredictable. That's the nature of our lives. Have you experienced that this week? Have you experienced something that, you know, things maybe were going just like they should, and then all of a sudden the dishwasher breaks? (laughs) Right? Things were going exactly how it was supposed to do, and then the transmission fails. Things were working and your children were doing exactly what they were supposed to do and then all of a sudden they weren't? (laughs) It seems to happen by random and and that's the way life is. It's largely unpredictable from our perspective. Now let me just say, now that can cause you a lot of fear and anxiety, but I don't want it to do that. I want you to understand that this is what makes life wonderful. This is what can make life an absolute joy to live in. I wonder if you see the wonder of the unpredictable nature of life. You know, every time Alabama's football team goes and takes the field, they might lose. Do you recognize that? Every single time they take the field, they might lose. Some of you say, well, that never happens. It hardly ever happens, yes, but sometimes there's a chance They might just lose. You can't predict it with 100% certainty. And isn't that wonderful? Just to have that little bit of hope that maybe in a couple weeks when LSU plays Alabama, they will beat them finally. Isn't it wonderful to have that? This is captured so well in the theatric masterpiece, Dumb and Dumber. Um, Lloyd Christmas as the hapless idiot for whom hope springs eternal, is just pining for this beautiful, wealthy woman, Mary. And at the end of it all, he's gone through and traveled most of the United States to bring her back, her briefcase. And, and he looks at her at a moment of tenderness and he says, what is it, what's it going to take for a guy like you and a girl like me to end up together? And she says, well, what are the chances? And Mary says, not good. And he says, like one in a hundred? She says, more like one in a million. And his face falls. And then he says, you're telling me I got a chance. (laughs) It's absolutely ridiculous. Yes. But that's it. In this world, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. There's a chance for all of these wonderful things to happen. I'm telling you, there is a chance for the idiot to get the girl. <laughs> it makes you frustrated, doesn't it? But it also is the thing that makes life so wonderful. Have you seen the wonder of life? The small winds at times, the slow winds. That's the way the world works. Embrace it, enjoy it. Secondly, in this passage, in verses 1 through 6, you see the benefit of life. Verses 1 through 6 again. Solomon continues his cheery theme, and I just can't help but think he would be just absolutely fun at parties. He talks about death again, okay? And he says, look, both the righteous and the unrighteous, the same event happens to both of them. They're going to die. Ultimately, they are going to die. The same event happens to them. To all of them. And again, it's not a cheery thought, but it's an important thing for us to remember that regardless of your level of righteousness and how good you are, you can't control the end. As a matter of fact, you can't control anything in this life and and let your oncoming death be the reminder to you that you don't have control over your life. And again, that's not, that should not be a scary thing for Christians, but it should be. Something that gives us hope and is encouraging to us. We are not in control. Praise the Lord. That is good news. You're not in control. I'm not in control because if we were, we would make a mess of it. And you might think, well, things are pretty messy. Just imagine if you were in control how messy it would be. The same event happens to everyone and we tend to forget that event. We're not in control, and by our good works, we can't change anything. We can't change the mind of God. We can't force God to do anything. God is sovereign and ultimately in control of everything that happens. Now, given that reality, given the reality that the righteous and the unrighteous, the clean and the unclean, the good and the bad, given the reality that everything, that the same thing happens to both of them, Well, Solomon draws some conclusions, and so he says, it's better to be alive than to be dead. Given the fact that you're going to be dead one day, it's better to be alive. He uses a a vivid illustration of that. He says it's better to be a live dog than a dead lion, okay? You think of the, the pride of the lion and the, and the proud and strong nature of the lion as he comes out of his cave and he roars, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Well, imagine the dead lion and what he's good for. He's not good for anything but rotting. Well, in this day, they didn't have dogs as pets. They didn't like dogs, and they were, they, they were you know, just there as a nuisance. And he says it's still better to be a nuisance and alive than to be proud and dead. That's just the reality of how it is. Given the reality that that you will die, it's better to be alive today than it is to be dead. And really, ultimately, what it boils down to is it's a matter of possibility. What are the possibilities uh, given to you when you're dead? He says there's not any possibility. Why? Because you're dead. But while you're alive, there's all manner of possibility that is open to you. It's all manner of things that you can be and you can do. Well, that's an, uh, uh, an important thing for us to remember. We can learn a lesson from Ebenezer Scrooge at the end of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. He's been shown his past, his present, and his future. And his future is bleak. He has been a miserly and, and uh, difficult man his entire life. His heart has shriveled and shrunk. He is a disgusting human being because of his love of money and, and all things that have happened to him. And then at the end, he's been shown the vision of his death, and he wakes from his vision, and he says, "There's still time. There's still time to change." He flings open the door, he says, "You boy, what, what day is it? It's Christmas Day?" And that's when he exclaims it, "There's still time. There's still time to change." And to be who God wants Ebenezer Scrooge to be. And he runs out and what is it? what happens? He's generous with the things that God has given him. He's loving to the people that are in his life. And he's kind to everyone that he meets. He's changed. He wakes up and he says, there's still time. Well, Here's the good news for you today. If you are here today... There is still time. If you are hearing my voice, you are not dead. <laughs> There's still time to be who God wants you to be. And the possibilities are there for you. You can change. And you know where you need to change. You know the things that God expects of you. And you know how you are to live your life. You can be loving You may be the crankiest, most difficult person in the world, and you can go home today and be different. It's a matter of choosing to be different. That possibility is open to you. You can be generous with the things that God has given you. You can be kind to your loved ones, to your family. You can be different. And that's good. That's good news. The possibility is open to you. There is still time. Well, then in verses 7 through 10, this is the third thing that we see. We see the joy of life, the joy of life in 7 through 10. And this is the main course. This is, this is kind of that middle part that you get to see here today. The, the, this is the steak and potatoes, if you will. What Solomon says is, go eat your bread in joy. And drink your wine with a merry heart. Go and eat your bread. This should call to mind something that Jesus prayed for. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Okay. What Jesus is praying for in there is that we would have all that we need for today. And so I think Jesus is echoing what Solomon is saying here today. He's saying, you know what? You may look out and not have everything that you want. As a matter of fact, you might have very little that you actually want. But you know what you have today? You have your daily bread. You have the things that God has given you today. Not everything you want, but everything that you need for today. So what Solomon says is you need to enjoy what God has given you today. Go and eat your bread with joy. And then he says, and drink your wine with a merry heart. I don't know where you fall on the issue of drinking and and enjoying alcohol, but the scriptures are clear that God has given alcohol as something for people to enjoy in its proper place. And he says, enjoy it. If God has given it to you, enjoy it. Within the boundaries that God has set up for you, it is something for you to enjoy. You see the joy that Solomon is commanding for God's people here. Eat. Don't don't withhold it. Don't wait to enjoy the things that God has given you. Enjoy those things today. If it's yours, you have freedom to enjoy it. If it's yours, you have freedom to enjoy it. Because God has already approved of what you do. I think that's an important thing for us to hear. If you are in Christ, you have been approved by the Master. You have all the validation you need. There is nothing you can do or nothing you can't do or nothing, nothing that, that anything will happen in the world that will take away from God's approval of you. He already approves of what you do. You have freedom to enjoy. God delights in you. He delights in who you are. Not in who you're going to be. Not in who you hope to be. God delights in you. Exactly as you are. And he goes on, look at verse 8. Let your garments be always white. Let oil not be lacking on your head. What's he talking about there? Well, white garments were the party garments they were the garments that people put on for parties for weddings you know how you go to a wedding and you get all dressed up and you want to look good well same thing back then they had they had their party garments and they were the whitest garments that they had and they wanted to keep them clean and so he says let your garments be always white meaning don't wait for the for the celebration to put on your good stuff don't wait for the perfect moment to celebrate let your garments always be be white. Every day is an opportunity for celebration. Every day is an opportunity for enjoyment. And he says, let not your let not oil be lacking on your head. Oil back then was it's like our perfume or, or our cologne, except it was far more expensive than we can even imagine. If even if you get you know Chanel number no. five or whatever it is, and it's a hundred bucks for an ounce or or however much. You can't even imagine the expense of oil back then, but and you know, and everybody maybe would have had a little vial, and they would have just dabbed a little bit on themselves one time a year. And Solomon says, "What are you waiting for? Smell good all the time. Wear it, and don't worry about withholding it because you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. You may not have an opportunity to party tomorrow, but you have an opportunity for that today. Be joyous. Be joyous today, and then." Verse, verse 9, he says, enjoy life with the wife whom you love. He's not saying go find a wife that you love. He's saying, you know, you got married to your wife and you promised to love her. Enjoy that wife. Enjoy your wife. And it's not just for men, but for women, enjoy your husband. Uh, you know, and then verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. Whatever it is that you want to do, whatever God has given you for your occupation, for your vocation, do it. Whatever hobbies you enjoy, do those things. Enjoy those things and do it with all of your might. There is joy in life, in eating and drinking and in relationships and in work. And, and he doesn't say that joy and hard work are, are mutually exclusive. That if you work hard, you can't have joy. No, actually those two things should be together together you can have joy and hard work. So what's the application of all this? And I vividly remember taking this class in seminary and Dr. Davis, Dr. Ralph Davis came in and he just was a visiting professor and he would come in, and he would like he would like parachute drop in on particularly difficult classes and then leave and he was the best Old Testament teacher. And I vividly remember his class on Ecclesiastes. We had one day where we studied the book of Ecclesiastes. And and this, and I, was, I need you to remember this. In 2004, I was single and I was lonely before Amy and I met. And I wanted to get married. And I remember Dr. Davis saying this. He goes, if you want to know what the book of Ecclesiastes is all about, single guys, if you like a girl, ask her out. Ask her on a date. Take her to the movies. And when she says no, ask out another one. That's the application of the book of Ecclesiastes. And I remember him saying, wait, he said, when she says no? He said, yes, because she's going to say no. And you know what? If the next girl says no, ask out another one. And ask out another one. Until one says yes. And I remember thinking, how beautiful is that? I'm lonely. I can ask a girl out. And I did, and we got married. <laughs> I mean what a beautiful application of this And so, so let's apply that application to all the various ways in which you know, we're living if, if you work, if you have a job if you're not retired yet if you don't like your job, get another one you have the freedom to do that, if you don't like your job get another one, regardless of how much money you're making now you can get a job that pays less money and you will be okay now, you're going to have to talk with your wife or your husband about those things. There are going to be issues that you have to work out, yes. But you don't have to complain about your job every single day. You can get a new job. that's open to you. If you're married, not all of us are married in here, but if you're married, go home and read the Song of Solomon with your wife or with your husband and enjoy the marriage bed. You are free to do that. You are, you're not just free, you are commanded to do that in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It is a command of God to enjoy the marriage bed with your husband or your wife. Read the Song of Solomon together, that should help. <laughs> but not just, not just the bed, but enjoy all of life together. God has brought two people together for His purposes and for your good. Enjoy that. Now, not all of you are married. Well, guess what? You're single. You know what you have that married people don't have? You have time, and you don't have someone, you know, needing things from you constantly more than likely. And you may not like where you are right now. That's okay. But enjoy the time that you have. It is a gift from God. Your singleness right now is a gift from God. Enjoy it. You have some freedom that married people don't have. Now, if you have kids, take them out for ice cream. (laughs) Take your kids out for ice cream. Kiss your kids. Hug your kids. Wrestle with your kids. Find time to enjoy your children because they're going to be teenagers one day and they're not going to want to be around you, okay? (laughs) Teenagers, okay, guys, your parents are the worst. Your parents are the worst. We know that and they know that too. But your parents are God's good gift to you For your good, cut your parents a break. They love you and have given everything for you. If you have grandkids, spoil the mess out of your grandkids. Do not hold back. Spend all of their inheritance on everything that they want today. And parents, let them do it. It's a glorious thing. Now, if you're hurting this morning and you're grieving, there's a time for that too. Some of you are grieving the loss of a loved one, you're grieving a loss of a marriage, you're grieving the loss of something in your life. And, and most of us are coming today with a loss that we're dealing with. This doesn't discount that grief. This doesn't discount that loss. But it is a reminder to us that in the midst of grief and in the midst of the hard stuff, don't forget the good stuff either. Don't forget what's before you. Don't forget what God has given you today, the good things. And that's what this passage is saying. There's wonder in life. There's benefit to life. And there is absolute joy in this life. And that is yours if you are in Jesus Christ today. Because, you know, if God has approved of you and has said, you are approved as my servant today, then God nor man has anything against you. And everything that you have is yours and is there for you to enjoy. Well, do you have the approval of God in Jesus Christ? Do you have the righteousness of God? Is this true of you, Romans 8, 1, for now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? There's no condemnation. And you can enjoy your life. So this Tuesday, I was, I was listening to some songs to prepare for this passage. On Tuesday mornings, uh, I watch Rosie and, and Alexander Has Violin. and I was sitting there. Rosie had just gone down for her nap. And I was trying to figure out a song that I was going to use as the title of this. And I was sitting at her kitchen table. Um... And I thought, I said, for a moment, I'm going I'm to use Good Vibrations from the Beach Boys. I thought, what a perfect one. And so I said, I want to hear that song, and I'll listen to it. And then the next song on Pandora was, Wouldn't It Be Nice from the Beach Boys? And I, I mean, you can go home and you can listen to that song, but I was sitting there listening to that song and the beautiful melody and harmonies that were coming through that the Beach Boys sang about. And it was, it was simply about a man saying, wouldn't it be nice if we were married? And I was sitting at the dining room table. Look over to my left. And there's a thirteen beautiful pictures of my daughter. Every month she's been alive, just gorgeous. And I look up and there's a picture of my son from a couple years ago at the beach. Gorgeous. <gasps> Here's a picture of me and Amy on our our wedding day. How great. I'm at our dining room table, surrounded by these reminders of God's goodness. They're here, and it's simple stuff. God is good to us, and we can enjoy this life. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the goodness that we have in this life. We thank you for the goodness of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would help us to see those things in the little stuff. Not take it for granted, but also see it in the big stuff, in salvation, in glory. We thank you for these reminders. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. All right, let's stand together and sing joy to the Lord, or joy uh, to the world. The Lord is come, and not that Jeremiah is a bullfrog.